My name is Armando. And my name is Rebecca. And you are tuning in to episode six of the Will to Trust podcast. All episodes are available for you to listen on iTunes, Podbean, and other affiliate podcast services. Thank you for joining us. Today is June 24th, 2020, and we have an excellent conversation coming up. Today, we'll be discussing power of attorneys and the common misconceptions surrounding this powerful instrument. New episodes are released for you to enjoy every other Monday. Before we begin, if you have any topics you would like to recommend or simply want to leave a comment, make sure to visit our website, www.lifelegacypa.com, where you can find additional instructions on how to reach us. Today, we'll be discussing powers of attorneys. First of all, Rebecca, how are you doing? Doing great. Enjoying this weather. It's a little bit hot, but the rain has slowed down. So it is a little hot. It's a little hot. It's a little humid, but I mean, what is to be expected from Florida? But as as long as you know, we're we're, we're safe, we're healthy. Uh, Everyone who's listening to this, I hope everyone is safe and healthy as well. Um, And you know, just taking your precautions as normal. Uh, today we'll be discussing powers of attorneys and the misconceptions, but before we discuss the actual misconceptions, we're going to actually just kind of do a quick overview on what powers of attorneys are. I know some people, they're, you know, they, they're not really sure what they are, uh, what they do, who's involved. So we're just going to overview this. A power of attorney is a document in which you assign powers that you have to someone else. It's as simple as that. It's a power that you have whether it be the power to use your money, the power to speak to a doctor about your medical information, a power to buy a house. All of those things, you can designate somebody else to use those powers for you. Uh, what the purpose of for that is, we'll discuss in uh, coming topics or in coming uh, sections of this podcast. But for now, just that's the overlying issue. Now, who is involved? Rebecca, Like when you sign a power of attorney, who is part of this? Right. So we have a few different um, parties involved. So you have the principal, which is the person who is giving the powers, the person who needs maybe help in something or just wants someone to be able to do something for them. So they give their legal powers to someone who's called their agent. This agent is a person receiving the powers. They are the attorney, in fact, in some way they they'll call them that. And this agent needs to be someone who is um, at least 18 years old and, or it could be a financial institution that has trust powers and they are given that authority to do something on behalf of the principal. And then finally you have a third, well, the third party is kind of who I mentioned could be Mm -hmm. an agent. So those are the, yeah, so the th- I think in in a sense cuz like when you dist- when you divide these parties, right? The the who is who in this. I think the third party is referring more to the person that you're u- or the institution that is using going to use it. Yeah, Correct. so for example, if you have a bank, the the bank is the one that holds the money for the principal. The right. agent needs to access that money. So the agent's the one that's going to use that power of attorney, go to the third party, which in this case is the bank. And tell the bank, you know, hey, I need to use this money. I need to withdraw. I need to deposit whatever. And that that's the third party. And these third right. parties could be 
pretty much anyone who the principal has uh, relationships with or any sort of power that is stipulated in the power of attorney and therefore the agent needs to use it. So it, it, it's, a, it's a powerful document. The, the power of attorney is a document that whenever a client asks us, hey, we, we need a power of attorney, the first thing that goes to our mind is, well, what for? Who, you know, who are you going to make as an agent? What's your relationship to them? And uh, what exactly is the purpose of this power of attorney? Uh, some people just want a power of attorney because they want, they feel like it makes, you know, it helps them in times of need, which is true. Some others see a for, you know, they see a coming issue, some sort of a emergency, a healthcare dependency issue where they may not be able to leave the house or they may not be able to take care of themselves and they see this coming. So they, they sign a power of attorney to have somebody they trust take care of the affairs for them. Now there are different types of power of attorneys. You have just the standard general power of attorney. Then you have the durable power of attorney. Um, that's kind of like flash through that. What is a just general power of attorney? So the general power of attorney is basically, I guess, it's kind of you're giving power over to this person to yep. just generally be able to do anything that you would be able to do legally. There are, of course, exceptions with and everything in the law. There's always little carve outs. So there are a few powers that are not um, are not given to to your uh, general power of attorney, your attorney, in fact, right away. But um, this will be a power of attorney that will um, give this power over as long as you are able to make this decision for yourself. And then I guess the contrast would be the durable power, which is where Armando... Yeah, the durable power of attorney is for... It pretty much has power even after uh, incapacity. And now like, like, let's kind of dive into that because that's a, that's a handful. Um, when you sign a power of attorney, you are delegating the powers that you have to someone else. Now, logic being, if you don't have the capacity to exercise those powers, people would assume, well, then therefore the agent doesn't have those powers either. A durable power of attorney survives capacity. So if the principal does not have capacity, the power, the power of attorney will remain in effect. Uh, it's in essence, it's what I would argue is probably one of the more important features of a power of attorney, because a lot of people who sign these documents expect their agents to have the power to help them when they may not be able to help themselves. Right. And, um, uh, one of the largest issues that we've encountered as attorneys is family members, at, well, family members of the client asking us, we need a power of attorney, but uh, I need a power of attorney, let's say for my mom or for my dad, and they're not necessarily um, in the right mind. They may not really understand what they're signing. And that might, that's too late. You've reached right. a point where you, the, the principal, if the principal doesn't understand what they're signing, then they, you know, that power of attorney is not effective. They, it's, they can't sign it legally and, and have it enforced. So these durable power of attorneys have that effect where when you sign it, you have capacity, you know what's happening, you're giving this these powers to the agent, but it survives the incapacity moment, that moment where you can't fend for yourself uh, mentally. 
with that said, there is a little caveat that, that I, we should carve out here. When you sign a durable power of attorney, understand that it does not it does not just give you the agent the power to act when you become incapacitated. Right. Rebecca, do you want to kind of hit on that? Because I know you, yeah. you, you, you love this topic. Yeah, I think it's something that a lot of people, um, it scares people sometimes to make these documents because mm -hmm. the truth is you can't wait until you're incapacitated, like you said, or you can't make the document mm -hmm. so that it only takes effect when you're incapacitated. Um, this is something that's unique to, not unique to Florida, but you, Florida has a specific rule against what they call a springing power of attorney, which means that it would spring into effect once you've lost incapacity. And Florida has said that there's no springing power of attorneys allowed um, or that will be uh, taken in mm. Florida since October 1st of 2011. So that means that you cannot make a power of attorney that will only take effect after you've lost capacity. So when you make this, as soon as you sign this document, you are giving those powers to this other person, which means you really have to trust that person because technically they already have these powers. And obviously there's, um, when we were talking about the third parties before, that is kind of, it's, it's great that you really need to involve these third parties mm. that this person doesn't just come around with your power and not have to really deal with anyone else. But most of the time, these third parties have to verify and have the actual document that says this person has been given the authority to, um, to make decisions on my behalf. So they need to have the power of attorney document signed, executed properly, and that is sort of a, a buffer, if you will, mm. because you will need to um, you'll need to present that correctly executed document. And if you don't want to give that document to your power, your agent right away, right after signing, um, then that is one way to kind of control that. Uh, and since I spoke about having to have a properly executed document, we can go into the execution requirements, which I know Armando loves to go over. He likes we, to include we, this, which is very important. We always make it a point. We always make it a point to just have a little, you know, kind of like a little section where we just discuss the execution requirements. Cause I know that, um, it changes depending on each document. And, uh, if you do plan on making, we do not, we never recommend you making your own documents. Always talk to an estate planning attorney or an attorney that is competent in this field because there's just so many nuances. But if you must know, if you have to know, the properly way to execute a power of attorney is that the principal has to sign in the presence of two attesting witnesses. Okay. And then they must sign as well in the presence of a notary. Now, the important part here, and Rebecca really uh, spoke about that, is that when the principal signs, they have to have capacity, okay? So they have to be aware of what they're signing, when they're signing it, what its consequences are to their state, okay? And then they, after all this has been signed, the notary notarizes the document. Now, this is an important part because I've been asked this question multiple times. A power of attorney does not need to be recorded, Okay. So once you notarize a document and it has followed all these procedures, okay, so you've principal signed in the presence of two witnesses who witnessed him, witnessed the principal signed, okay, in the presence of a notary who then notarizes the document, that's it. The, the, the power of attorney, as Rebecca said, is in effect. 
Now the principal, okay, has shared their powers, and that's important. They've shared their powers. The principal never loses the power to act for themselves, okay? They just share this power with the agent. The agent at that point has the power to exercise that power of attorney, but there are ways to mitigate it. As Rebecca said, if you do not provide the power of attorney, the power of attorney to the agent physically, they therefore cannot really execute it because, you know, if they don't have the the actual document, they really can't go to a third party and say, "I have this power of attorney, exercise it." They can't. So there are ways to mitigate it, but those are the execution requirements, um, and they're they're important to know. Again, any competent attorney in uh, estate planning will know this. It's it, it's you know it's it's pretty straightforward information, but it is important to know. And Armando, you mentioned that it does not need to be recorded. Mm-hmm. But one thing that is remember uh, important to remember is that in a way, sometimes these are recorded, for not not um, officially, not with mm-hmm. the state, but those third parties that we were talking about, the banks, if your agent went and took one of these to the banks and they have that on file, that person remains with um, the power. Uh, they are recognized as an agent with that institution so if you do change it even though it's not recorded um with any city or state uh, clerk it is recorded with the institution so it's important to make sure that you keep track of who has those documents so that if anything ever changes you can always go back and um, let them know that that person is no longer your agent that's an excellent point, and that also leads to um, the revocation process because in order for you to revoke a power of attorney, there really only are two ways to revoke them. One is by, writ- by written revocation, by stating that you are intending to revoke, and then at that point, you need to send um, all of these third parties notices that this power of attorney has been revoked and that this agent no longer acts on your behalf. And the second one would be to have a or execute a second power of attorney that revokes the prior existing one. Um, and then in that case, you would still need to go through the process of notifying those third parties. So that's an excellent point. Even though you don't need to record by the legal sense record um, a power of attorney, it is great to have on file proactively with those third parties. Go to the bank, tell them this is my power of attorney for this agent. You know, I and it's perf- obviously if you're the principal and you're handing them the file, there's no question. Um, it, it's a lot less, uh, dare I say, dubious than having um, the agent just randomly go and say, I, I want to withdraw $3 million out of this estate. Um, so that's an excellent point. That's I never really crossed my mind. I think that's a really good point that a lot of people uh, would benefit from. Now, let's shift gears and we're going to hit the misconceptions of power of attorneys. We've had a few misconceptions come up our way of some people tell us, you know, they ask us a question and that's totally fine. We're here to uh, inform. We're here to learn as well. We're always students of life. And I think that these misconceptions are great tools for people to just kind of learn what people, what, you know, these rumors are and, and whether they're true or not. So it's more of like a frequently asked questions, but they're not true. So the first one is, does a power of attorney survive death this i think this one scares people a lot people are very scared of this one because what happens is they they sign this power of attorney and now they're terrified that if they die the person that they said as agent is going to take all their stuff and move to you know fiji so does it survive death rebecca it does not so one thing 
<laughs> yes. One way that we described the power of attorney earlier, which is the way, the best way that I like to describe why this doesn't work. And if you ever have a doubt, you go back to this is it gives the power to, it gives the power, the legal power that you have to someone else. So if you are unfortunately dead, you will not be able to make these decisions for yourself. Um, you are not capable of making this. You have no legal power. So you have no legal right. Um, and I think that's kind of the easiest way. Now, mm. obviously, there is that um, that area of if you're incapacitated, but in, even if you're incapacitated, you still have legal rights. You're still a person. So that's where you can differentiate that. But if you have no powers, if you have passed away, then this document is no longer valid and i think that this is also um i had read an article about a celebrity and people really do think this all the time that if somebody had a poa that when they've passed away that person who has a poa is making decisions about the estate and that is definitely not true if someone is making decisions about the estate that's probably a personal representative of the will or a trustee so definitely not true it does not survive death that's an excellent point and i was going to bring up the personal rep because when you pass away the powers that be that provide the power of attorneys these agents right they lose that power and if in a, in a very theoretical sense all that power gets shifted over to the personal rep the personal rep is therefore the one that becomes responsible for your estate after your death so those power of attorneys just cease to, to, to be enforceable. Now, as a personal rep, I would assume that, um, I'm not sure because I've never really like that in, like when it comes to power of attorneys, when they become, uh, you know, when they become unenforceable after death, those third parties and notifying those third parties, you know, especially with like maybe like fraud people using uh, dead social security numbers, it might be a prudent choice to just go to these banks, go to these third parties and notify them of the principal's death. You know, I think it comes down to each personal rep and the attorneys that are handling and uh, yeah. how, how, how comprehensive that estate plan is. Um, if it's a small estate plan, you know, you could, you could take leeways there, but that's one misconception that I think is important to look into. The second one, and I think this one is something that a lot of people even worry about. Even if you know or understand power of attorneys, it could still be in the back of your head. And that's that the power of attorney gives agents too much power. Now, we can kind of discuss this as a conversation because this is just a load full of information. Yes. But off the bat, power of attorneys you have to stipulate the powers that you are providing. At least here in Florida, we don't, they don't allow general power of attorneys in the sense that you just say, hey, agent, you are going to be able to do anything I can do. It just doesn't happen that way. You have to stipulate um, exactly the powers. And if you want, I call it the checklist of the power of attorney because if you see some of those uh, templates, they just have like these checklists and it's kind of odd. Uh, but if you check all of them, that's fine. But by checking all of these powers, you're pretty much saying, hey, this particular power I'm providing, this particular power I'm providing. So you are, in essence, even though it seems like you're providing all of them, you're still saying each and each and every 
individual powers separately. Right. And that's important because a lot of people think these power of attorneys are a end all power, you know, search for, for the agent. And it's not that. I think it's hard for people to sometimes, um, or sometimes people get impatient and we've had clients who just go down and initial it all. And they basically give a general power of attorney, but I think it's important to have a, when you do this process, it's great to do it with attorneys who can mm -hmm. sit down with you and give you the, the form ahead of time. Our form I know gives details on each power. There's some forms that just list a general topic of the power. Ours gives a little bit of a description and we like to give this to our clients ahead of time so that they can read over it and see the powers that they're giving. And if they have questions, they can tell us. We do have some clients who take the time to read through the little blurbs and make sure that they understand. And if they think, hey, this is not useful, I don't want to give this power up, then you don't need to initial that. And you can definitely pick and choose what it is that you actually want to give to that person. Which is important because you don't, and again, you want to be able to tell the agent, hey, I'm providing you with this power and this power alone. The power of attorney, since it stipulates it, because if, if it was just a general power of attorney, which obviously in Florida we can't have, but even if it was, I'm sure a lot of people would still not want the agent to have all of these powers uh, for the most part. So they're probably going to tell the agent, hey, I don't want you to do this. I want you to do the power of attorney now. That's it. it. It covers it. You can only do this and that, and that's it, which is nice. What are some of these powers you may be asking? It could be anything from financial. Uh, you could control financial assets. So if you have a portfolio, you can provide a power of attorney for um, a broker to manage these assets for you. You can have your accountant sign a power of attorney so that they can speak to the IRS on your behalf. Uh, that's very common. You can have a lot of these things. A lot of these power of attorneys are not solely estate planning um, documents. It's an instrument that, that is used in a lot of industries for a lot of reasons when one person needs those powers. And these, what, you know, these power of attorneys that stipulate exactly what power it is help to to propagate that, you know, that industry and how it's worked. So that's, that's the too much power misconception. Uh, we've laid it to rest. We understand that you cannot, you, at least you can't, you can give too much power, but the a, the power of, of attorney itself, um, you can tailor it to, you know, to, to your needs and what, how much power you want to, uh, share with your agent. Um, and then the final misconception that we have is that the POA allows someone to abuse those powers for their own benefit. Now, this is kind of a little tricky because the whether they abuse it or not comes down to criminal activity in essence, really. Right. So we don't want to say that it doesn't happen. It can and probably definitely does more often than not. But it's not legally right. It's not that the power of attorney provides the agent the power to abuse. It's that if the agent abuses it, they're breaking the law. Rebecca, do you want to kind of hone in on this? Cause yeah, I think legalese... the best way, the best way that I remember, you know, in law school, they would always give us this example, which is the little old lady who is needing help. She can't really make it to the bank. Um, it's a big deal. So she asks her young neighbor to, go make deposits and withdrawals for her. And he ends up abusing of that power of attorney and taking out more than he should. 
and um, skimming off a little bit of the top. And that's something that honestly, it could happen. You are giving this power, but it does not mean that you don't have recourse against that person. It is still illegal for them to do that. And they do have a responsibility, a fiduciary responsibility to act in the interest of the principal. They're supposed to act prudently and um, what they what they are doing with that power of attorney should be to benefit the principal. And if it's not, then this is something that you could take them to court or if it's to the point that it is a, a, a criminal act, mm. then you can even um, request seek criminal uh, seek criminal um, charges against them. Absolutely. And the when you think about an agent that is taking care of the finances of a principal, for whatever reason, that's just the, the finances. I've from the research that we've done and from what we've seen, the the actual standard seems to be in um, uh, very similar to a trustee's standard for a trust, which is the in prudent investor standard, which just means that if you're going to make financial decisions as sell assets, buy in, you know, financial investments, stuff like that, it needs to be um, reasonable, you know, and it needs to be really in the bend. It needs to be prudent. Uh, you can't right. go and buy a three mil three million dollar asset that has no bearing whatsoever to the portfolio. It's not going to provide any income. It, it's just an uh, an absolute. Uh, just you know, you're, you're you're throwing money away. That I think most courts would hold that it's not a prudent decision, and it's not in the benefit of the principal in the end. So, whether somebody abuses this power is going to be up to one, you know many factors. But what I would consider when you're signing a power of attorney as the principal is have somebody who you trust. Okay, have somebody who you know has either strong ethics, good conviction. Um, they're not. They they have your well being in mind, and they're not going to be prone to um, abusing your your money or your finances or right. your assets. Now, as attorneys, as as estate planning attorneys, um, we always were given the hard questions. These are very hard questions. One of the questions is always. Who can, who should be an agent? Who should not be an agent? It's going to really come back to the, what we were talking about with the healthcare surrogate. It's going to come down to your personal relationship with the person, um, factors within your family. Um, it, it, it's tough conversations because when you talk to an estate planning attorney, we're going to ask you really personal questions right. because one of our goals is to make sure not that we're not breaking any sort of friendships or family relationships but that we're trying to protect you came to us for us to protect you right uh, for us to protect your assets for us to protect your legacy and by doing that we're doing you a dishonor by telling you well you know you may you may you may be really good friends with your cousin he's not financially prudent you by what you've told me he's he, does, he's, he doesn't have any money he doesn't care about anything he's you know whatever we have the indications that they're not a right fit to be an agent. We would be doing a dishonor by not telling you, we don't think this is a good choice. This is not a good match. Uh, you can keep going out fishing trips with him. You can be, but we don't think that he would be a good choice for you right now for this, for this part. 
And the same goes for a lot of these other really important estate planning documents. You're going to be, you have to be really careful. Um, now, one little thing that I wanted to add before we close up um, is a, just because you sign somebody up as a, through a power of attorney as an agent does not give them an obligation. It doesn't obligate them to actually act as your agent. You are solely providing them with the authority to do so. So if you're going to sign a power of attorney, it might be important to discuss with the potential agent, the candidate that they will be a power of attorney, uh, that they will be an attorney in fact uh, for you because, because you just signed it does not give them the requirement. They're not responsible to do anything for you. Um, And really, if you really think about it, the agent doesn't sign anything in the power of attorney when you execute it. So you could, if, if this was true, you could bind somebody um, and may, and, you know, and give them a bad headache because you just made them responsible for your entire, you know, for whatever. So please take that in mind. With that said, if your agent does take on the responsibility, they have to follow that standard, be prudent. They have to be responsible. They have to act in reasonable care and they have to act in your benefit. Okay but they're not obligated to act. So keep that in mind. It's important. I I actually learned that one um, researching because I I, I don't think it really comes up. I don't, you know, a lot of people really just talk to each other about it, but I never really thought about it. And I was like, oh, you know what? That's right. You're really not obligated. You're not obligated to do it. You're not, you're not signing a contract saying, yeah, yeah, I'll do it. Right there. Yeah. And I think that also it goes for most of the documents that we've spoken about the past few weeks. You know, um, these aren't, which is why we say have those conversations have the difficult, uncomfortable conversations, because you want to make sure that they're going to be willing to serve. If not, the court's going to give that power to somebody else who is willing, um, not the power of attorney, but maybe for the healthcare. Mm -hmm. Um, but they want to, and, and in the case of power of attorney, actually, if you are incapacitated, they will give it to a guardian. So you want to make sure that this person is willing to, to serve and, and make choices on your behalf. And that's a really important point. Yeah. And guys, if there's anything that we covered today that either we did not cover properly, or maybe we didn't make any sense, we tried to, you know, really condense all this information down into 30, 40 minutes. And really, I mean, I think any law professor would be just squirming around going like, ah, I teach, four classes of this. Um, so we're just trying to make it consumable for you through a podcast medium. Um, so that way you don't have to sit through law school like we did. You can just, you know, enjoy it and learn a little bit. And if you do have any questions about this, feel free to send us comments, messages. If you do plan on acting or creating a power of attorney, we highly recommend you contact an, an estate planning attorney, uh, they will set you right. They will understand the nuances of your situation, and uh, it's important. Uh, I can't stress that enough. Of can't try and avoid using these templates, these standard online forms. Uh, it, it, you may get away with it perfectly fine. You, it may be fine. It may work for you. But if you're that percentage that doesn't work for you and you sign it and it's, it, it, you don't know what you're doing, it, it, you might do more damage than fix any situation you're in. So contact an estate planning attorney. These documents are not very expensive and for what they do, they're, they're really important and they're very, very powerful for you. So I think that's it. Um, Rebecca, if there's any closing thoughts before we end, no, 
you want to do an Instagram plug? Instagram plug. Go yes, follow always. us. Yes, go follow, follow us on, on Life. Instagram. Uh, sorry. Go follow us on Life Legacy Law on Instagram and also our website, Life Legacy Miami or Life Legacy PA.com. You can sign up for our newsletters and just explore the content. We have a lot of good resources on there. So feel free to go and read a little bit more. Find out if there's something that maybe you have not realized that you need for you and your family. Excellent. Guys, we want to thank you for tuning in today. Um, that wraps up the conversation for today. If you want more information on anything discussed today, make sure to visit our website, www.lifelegacypa.com. There you can find articles, documents, and anything else we referenced on the show, uh, resources for your planning needs, and much more. Guys, we hope to hear from you soon. We'll catch you on the next one. Bye. Bye.